With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the week 16 recap show, game by game review. The fantasy football championships are on the horizon, so we have to close the book on what just happened. I would say in the longest weekend ever of football, Diego, we start all the way on Thursday. It's not even done here on a Monday night. We had games on Saturday and Sunday in the middle of holidays that stretched out the days, but I hope you're well, Diggs. Doesn't it feel like we should not be here right now? <laughs> I, I sat down over the weekend and still took notes and whatnot, but I thought I would get a head start thinking mm. that we had Saturday games. Okay, I'll be 24 hours ahead. No, of course that didn't happen. It just no. gave me an extra 24 hours delay everything. Well, I'm, I'm I'm proposing the NFL starts August 1. We move everything up one uh, <laughs> calendar month, and then the season ends before Christmas. All right. Well, that is a jump to uh, some type of pitch, and I was not expecting to hear at the start of this episode. And uh, league meetings are in a couple months. Hayden, I'm sure the owners would love to hear from you as well. Okay, let's kick it off with... An outstanding performance. The Dallas Cowboys beating the Philadelphia Eagles 42-34. Hayden, talk me through this one because with Gardner Minshew at the helm, I was, you know, individually impressed by a lot of what the Eagles did. But then the day, I think this speaks to just how good Dak Prescott is playing to overcome some early mistakes and lead his team back to victory and an 11-4 record. Yeah, you had two quality defenses going into this, and they don't matter as often uh, they do <laughs> when you have two powerful offenses, starting with Gardner Minshew. I thought he looked fine. Definitely the supporting cast helped. I didn't think the Cowboys defense looked all that great. He had a couple awesome plays from A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, as usual. Devonta Smith, by the way, is making some absurd catches uh, over the last month of the season, really coming into his own. Dallas Goddard shows up, uh, plays his normal amount of snaps here, but does not uh, really pay off. He had a season low 4.1 expected half PPR points. Uh, the story for the Eagles for this next week is whether or not they get Jalen Hurts back. Since they lost this last game, uh, they still haven't clinched the first round by. They need to win uh, one of the next two games. We got a report from Ian Rappaport that uh, Jalen Hurts is going to be pushing to play. It seems like this injury uh, is not overly concerning with the pain injection. He will be able to play. And I'm guessing that they will let him out there because if they do win this next game, they should. Uh, he would have week 18 and the first round of the playoffs to get rested. So for fantasy purposes, we got to be hoping that Jalen Hurts comes back. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that were able to use Gardner Minshew's box score from this last week to get to the fantasy football finals because Jalen Hurts is one of the uh, best picks 
uh, and he probably got you to the semis. Diggs, there's a whole bunch of big names that went off here. You know, CeeDee Lamb for 10 receptions, 120 yards, and two scores. Uh, Devontae Smith, eight catches for 113 and two. A.J. Brown, six for 103. What were you impressed with most from either side, one side, both sides? Because, man, 74 points combined, as Hayden alluded to at the start. I'm not going to go out in a ledge and say defense doesn't matter, but I'm going to go and say that when two talented defenses are overruled and overridden by awesome offenses, it usually means it's a really damn good football game. And as Hayden mentioned, yes, the defenses were very poor in this one. It was more about Dallas being the ones to create four turnovers here and now pacing as league leaders in creating turnovers and potentially back-to-back seasons, which is pretty wild considering that's a stat that is not sticky whatsoever. But when you have Micah Parsons, I guess it boils down to that. It's also a Cowboys team that is arguably the best offense in the entire league since Dak Prescott returned from injury. 40 and a half points per game, not total averaging 40 and a half points per game. And yes, some of those have been defensive scores, but you don't just luck into that many defensive scores weekly. Like this offense is humming along and moving the ball with ease. They were down 10 at two separate occasions in this game and still came back and won it, including that bomb, as I'm sure everyone's seen on the film, as I'm sure the dots have shown you third and 30 to T Y Hilton, just throwing up a 51 yard prayer. Gallup doesn't make that play. C.D. Lamb is double covered on that play. So who was it? T.Y. freaking Hilton for his first catch as a Cowboy. So just lots to take away here. And I will say, yes, Jalen Hurts probably back, although it seems like it's a little rushed and not what the team ideally wants. But remember, Lane Johnson Johnson also now out for the regular season at least. That seems to be huge. And it just seems like a a team that may be trending in the wrong direction injury-wise as the playoffs show up. I don't think any quarterback in the league goes more from front side to backside in terms of their progressions and reads so fluidly and in a timely manner than Dak Prescott does. Uh, and again, coming back from, you know, down 10 points on two occasions, 10, nothing start, which, you know, factored in his pick six, which I think was more just a, a great play from Josh sweat out in the edge. And then also down 27, 17, coming back from that deficit as well. I mean, even that drive that you talked about and that one play everyone's going to point to with T.Y. Hilton, I mean, the first and 10 was a strip sack by Hassan Reddick. The second and 21 was another sack by Josh Sweat. And then just being able to fit that ball in third and 30 to T.Y. Hilton was amazing. And the other amazing aspect of this team, it's the leap that C.D. Lamb has made this season. And Next Gen Stats pointed this out, where playing in the slot in this game, C.D. Lamb caught all nine of his targets for 113 yards and a touchdown. Um You can see it in touchdowns that he's seen where he's manipulating safeties, he's peeling routes, he's using fantastic body control to make something happen that a lot of other, you know, wide receivers cannot do. And Hayden, it's something that we've talked about with CeeDee Lamb, who played the vast majority of his rookie year snaps in the slot and what he's kind of progressed into now. I'm not saying I want them to purely use him as a slot receiver, but if they did like a Cooper Cup-esque role where he is about 65, 70% of the time in there, he might only be behind Cup in terms of the best slot wide receivers across the league. And you can do so much with that because of the manipulation you have and the advantages you have on defenses in that area of the field too. Yeah, I think they're maximizing C.D. Lamb. I think there are some pros and some weaknesses to his game, but the way they're using him is perfect. And since that Dak Prescott injury, C.D. Lamb's averaging 16.4 
half PPR points that puts him into uh, the uh, at least wide receiver one mix, if not the elite wide receiver one mix. And since that Dak Prescott injury, I just want to talk about this real quick. He is third in EPA per play. He is first in success rate and he is fourth in completion percentage over expected um, that T.Y. Hilton play was like the perfect encapsulation of what Dak Prescott can do he had to hold off the safety and throw a bomb perfect spot to ty hilton on a third and 30 i believe that was one of the longest uh completions on a third and 30 uh in nfl history so he's playing out of his mind right now i know he's been throwing a couple random uh picks here and there but for the most part that success rate stat says it all he's playing elite football um real quick with the running backs for fantasy purposes uh Zeke's averaging 15.7 half PPR points since Mm. Dak Prescott's injury. That's top 12. Tony Pollard, 17.4 with Zeke and Dak Prescott coming back. Both of them are averaging 14.5 expected half PPR points. Both of them are top 12 uh, fantasy running backs going in to the finals here. Pretty wild. I'm not sure the last time we've had basically two top 12 fantasy running backs on the same team. It obviously helps when Zeke has scored a touchdown in every game since week six. He didn't even deserve that one this past week. Tony Pollard literally grinded his ass to the goal line, and they took Pollard out and put Zeke in on the one. <laughs> Poor guy. Do we have any thoughts on Gardner Minshew's performance? I mean, he plays the position kind of differently than other quarterbacks across the league. Like, if you ever just notice, he doesn't even hit the end of his drop at times. The ball's, like, out of his hands. He, he quickens everything up. But even how the Eagles called this game, you know, like we talked about the Kyle Shannon and Brock Bird, we're going to get into that a little bit later too. It's not like they went into their shell at all. Like they might've run a bit more RPOs, you know, with AJ Brown, especially to, the left, to that left side. But, you know, it was no huddle at times. They were doing different things. They were asking to, you know, throw the football down the field. And in terms of passes completed 10 plus yards down the field, he, he was fantastic in this game too. Yeah, he had a couple of uh, uh, turnovers here and there, but I thought for the most part he got the the job done. It's it's very easy in this offense when you got this offensive line True. making the plays that he's doing, especially he's always been kind of a product um, of his environment. Obviously, he got really hot in Jacksonville. That was kind of the exception, but at Washington State, get the ball out to your playmakers and make the plays, and I obviously really trust this front office. Um, shout out to Howie Roseman. Another big win. He got Gardner Minshew for free, and right. he's definitely one of the top backups in the league. All right. Well, we're going to bounce around uh, really no rhyme or reason to any of it. Maybe just some of the games that piqued our interest the most. We're going to go through all of them. Don't worry about that. All 15 that have been played so far. Next up, Daigle, the Green Bay Packers come back and win over the Miami Dolphins and prove to seven and eight. They're still alive despite us trying to, you know, murder them earlier in the season. 26 to 20 in this game. Uh, Three fourth quarter interceptions from Tua Tungavailoa. And what we get from Aaron Rodgers in this offense is nothing special, nothing spectacular, nothing eye-popping from Christian Watson. But in the end, their bend-but-don't-break defense that has broken way too often this year came back and really won this game for them, I felt like. Did win it for them, but you obviously have to question Tua's performance here because from the 348 mark remaining in the third quarter on, he forgot how to play football. From that point time forward, five for 11 for 49 yards, 4.3 yards per attempt, and three picks, no touchdowns. It was an absolute disaster in the fourth quarter. And that's really what allowed this to slip through the Dolphins' fingers, considering Aaron Rodgers also was off throughout the afternoon. Christian Watson injured in this game, so they were left without a strong deep threat as Romeo Dobbs had a drop in the second half as well. Alan Lazard had two drops in this game. Aaron Jones had his ankle rolled up in the first half, so A.J. Dillon like out-snapped and just outperformed him because he was available more than anything so there was just a truly 
open-ended game here for the Dolphins. Could have gone either way, and it just slipped right through their hands because of Tua's play in the end. And now we have this Week 17 game coming up that actually matters for the AFC wildcard spot between the Dolphins and the Patriots. Yeah, huge huge there for the next week. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, the, the problem is is pre-snap, he has an idea of where the ball to go should yep. go to. And when teams are playing uh, zone coverage, soft zone coverage, I should say, and I should also say bad defenses, go look at that uh, Dolphins schedule when Tua was really balling out against some of the worst defenses in the league. It was very easy to throw into open spaces and get the ball going. Over the last uh, four games, d- tougher matchups, definitely. But we've seen a lot of these defenses, even some defenses that don't typically play up on the line of scrimmage, have been doing that. One of the interceptions, they got Tyreek Hill off of the spot, pushed him, and then Tua sailed the ball over the spot. But right now, Tua, he's been kind of the same quarterback. He's very accurate, uh, puts a lot of uh, uh, air under the ball, and usually that works because he has these weapons. But I don't think that he's some like in-pocket uh, decision maker. He has the pre-snap picture, and that's where the ball is going to. And it was really working with Coach McDaniel on these two weapons. But the last couple weeks, he's been either making the wrong snap or the wrong decision post-snap because he's under a little bit more pressure, or the pre-snap picture is not as clean because right. they're getting their hands on these wide receivers. You know, Matt Waldman has always made this analogy where you know players can know for relating it to music, like the notes or the scales or the ranges, but they can't really make music in the end um, because they don't know how to string them together in terms of something that is artistic, right? And that's kind of where we are right now with Tua in some ways where, you know, he obviously has so much trust in what Mike McDaniel's play calling is and throwing it to certain spots. He has trust in his wide receivers to be at those spots and win after the catch. But if, a different picture is drawn for him defensively, or if they've, you know, altered. And I'm not even saying that like the Packers play defense in the same way that the Chargers play defense in the same way that the 49ers play defense in the same way. It's been almost three different ways, right? But they're picking different elements that probably suit their styles and, you know, creating again, a dirtier picture for Tua to see. And it's just not hitting like it was, but at times it was hitting like it was in this game, you know, like that Jalen Waddle catch and run was exactly, you pull the linebackers up off play action, middle of the field. He catches it. He puts his head down and he runs along the sideline. It's just those three errant. And I'm not just trying to say just, but three errant mistakes that it is weird. You can get such great highs from Tua this year. And then the lows of those three interceptions, because those two types of players really shouldn't mesh together. Where like the, the statistics point to Tua being great. But again, I think that that, as you just said, Hayden speaks to the environment that he's in. And when things again, do get muddied up right now, he really hasn't answered the question consistently of, I can elevate the people around me and I can solve this mystery that's in front of me. The, the big plays will still be there. No matter what, what kind of defense you're, you're playing to is, is too accurate and the weapons are too good for the, them not to have some big plays. But over the last, uh, or since week 12, or the last couple of weeks here, he's 26 in success rate down to 42%. Only uh, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson and Mac Jones are lower than that. The consistency is there. It's not even just these fluky interceptions. The, the play in play out consistency has kind of evaporated. I think that's some of the, what you're saying, making music kind of comes in play. So to ask that question on top of that point, Daigle, are they almost somewhat similar to the 2021 Cincinnati Bengals where they're too reliant on big plays and you have to run hot there. And obviously Tua isn't Joe Burrow where you can also make magic outside of structure and under pressure as well. 
I believe so because against the 49ers, we saw receivers running wide open. Tua just missed them. Against the Bills, he did play badly on that Saturday night game, mm. but they had the two splash plays, uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So it looked in the box score at least that it was a better game for him, like Hayden said, because the big plays will always be there because of the scheme. And in this one, of course, he had the big Jalen Waddle play. So when he runs the system, yes, but you're not always going to be allowed to do that. So when it all craters down, so far he's failed the test. Yeah. It's tough because I actually think like the running game early against the Packers was working too. And like, that's what they tried to jumpstart with like, but then in the end, it's just 45 yards for he Mostert, 37 yards for Jeff Wilson. Um, and then the Packers end, Hayden, talk me through what has happened with Aaron Jones, you know? Like, well, he got just, he got rolled up on his ankle, so that's why he his snaps went down. He he seems like they're but even try in previous to weeks. I mean, he's been very hit and miss. Uh, the Packers' offense just was not as expected, and AJ Dillon's been playing better recently. There was a stretch where AJ Dillon wasn't able to do anything at all. Um, I, I found the the wide receiver rotation pretty interesting too. Almazard's actually top ten and expected half PPR points, but did nothing with him. Christian Watson will monitor. His injury, he didn't seem like he was all that close to returning after his own injury. So the Packers have everything to play for if these win these next two games. They actually are somewhat live to make the playoffs. Um, so they're going to try to push these guys back. But I think this is a team where, unfortunately for us going into the finals, we're not going to be able to know about what to expect from them until we start seeing the injury report. I, I also do understand the Packers have been playing more efficiently, but this is also why I hate using EPA and relating it back to fantasy uh, because Aaron Rodgers hasn't been a top 12 quarterback in any game since week 10, despite them being more efficient. Like I understand he got a little bit of a matchup boost here. It was also in wintry Florida, the total, both team totals, 50 degrees kept increasing. So you wanted to play him, but it's just still tough to come around. Even if he lost Jalen hurts, he does finish as the QB 14 on the week with Justin Herbert still go on Monday night, but man, you just really can't play Aaron Rodgers because he doesn't have a ceiling. Yeah, we'll make some content this week about what's in play for each team heading into, you know, week 17 and week 18. So you know, if the Packers are still in play for the playoffs, that means something has happened to the Detroit Lions. And what happened to them is that they lost the Carolina Panthers 37 to 23. I mean, five of the Panthers opening 10 runs went for 30, 35, 20, 38 and 30 yards. And I mean, that is who the Panthers are, you know, two weeks ago against the Seattle Seahawks. They're going to smash you in the face. They tried against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was not working, so they couldn't do anything off of that, and they lost that game. And in this one, again, it's Chuba Hubbard early off the left side, 30-yard gains. Then it's also Deontay Foreman with gains of like 20 and 30 and 35 and so on and so forth. Um, the Lions were in this one, though. I mean, it was 7-7 at the start of the second quarter. They had first and goal. The Lions are driving, and Jared Goff under center fumbles the center exchange. The Panthers recover that, and the game was over. I mean, it's 24 unanswered points off of that. So while the scoreboard and the box score might say that, you know, in the end, Jared Goff has 355 yards and three rushing touchdowns, it's because in the end, a team that has run the football all season long and done it at a really good level with, ends with just 45. And, you know, so few of those garbage points actually mattered for this Lions team. It was going to be a loss. And uh, the Panthers, I mean, this combo that they have since trading Christian McCaffrey of Deontay Foreman pops up for 165. Chuba Hubbard for 125. 
Um, I don't know if this is an identity that every team would want to go into every single season with into the future, but with how defenses are built and what they're running in terms of preventing big plays down the field, now it is working just about as effectively as it did back in like 1999. So there is something to say to adjusting to your personnel and to your strengths like the Panthers are doing right now. Yeah, Steve Wilkes has completely changed this uh, franchise right now. The Panthers, if they beat the Buccaneers this next week, they have a 64% chance of making the playoffs. If they lose, they are eliminated. So it's a playoff game for this next week. And Dan Campbell summed this game up perfectly after the game uh, when he met Steve Wilkes uh, in the middle of the field. He said, quote, that was an absolute ass-kicking. That's an effing great job. So um, that's exactly what it was. The, Sam Darnold is playing well enough in this very structured uh, don't have to do a whole lot offense. He's just throwing the ball to DJ Moore and letting these yeah. two running backs really cook. And that's super impressive. The offensive line, I think, is really playing well here uh, to trade Christian McCaffrey, get all of those picks, and still possibly make the playoffs. Uh, and you're getting a little bit something out of Chuba Hubbard um, and Deonta Foreman, a, a free agent this next year. Uh, big credit to Steve Wilkes. I'm, I'm starting to think that he's going to be the long-term answer at, at head coach. You know, I, I'm hearing that a lot, and I totally get it. I mean, he is so much better than Matt Rule. But in the end, if I know anything about David Tepper, is that he is going to search for an offensive-minded head coach because they have been so stagnant offensively uh, for so many years. Now, if, like, Steve Wilkes stays on as head coach, probably Ben McAdoo stays on an offensive play caller but it is again i do want to give credit because this happens a lot longest season ever as daigle likes to say how the panthers have morphed their offense as the season goes along and after that cmc trade we just said they pivoted on over to this and like their young wide receivers and other guys are running run blocking for them like at a really high level look at 88 here terrace marshall this was not what he was known for coming out of lsu pinning 25 off the left side and then getting ian thomas on this kind of counter action to Jeffrey Okuda one-on-one and then, Hey, make your safeties and cornerbacks tackle. Cause that's not what they like to do. And that's not what they're paid for. So Dave, Both, what do you want to say about this? Uh, nine yards per play in this game for the Panthers, 7.4 yards per carry, which is insane considering the lions had not allowed a single player over 75 rushing yards since week eight. Right. And then both Hubbard and Foreman went over a hundred in the first half of al- alone a franchise record, 364 yards of offense in the first half of the Panthers. And just for the Lions, the only takeaway really is that uh, Amon Ross St. Brown actually became the youngest receiver in Lions history with a 1,000-yard seizing, breaking Calvin Johnson's previously held record for that record. Hmm. Yeah, he's averaging 16.2 half PPR points this year yeah. in his healthy game. So the question is for next year is like how high is too high? And what's what's crazy about the Lions is they're being so disciplined by not rushing Jamison Williams back. He's still they're in the playoff hunt, but he's still only playing a couple snaps and stuff. Uh, Jared Goff obviously had that, that fumble that you mentioned, but he's moving the ball efficiently for, for the most part. They got a big decision to make, but they're still in the playoff hunt. Even with this loss, the odds definitely came down, though. Jamal Williams also under five fantasy points in three consecutive games, but it doesn't even matter when the bears are coming to town and we'll get to that soon. Uh, I always give golf, you know, shtick against pressure. He did have a really nice throw to DJ Chark under pressure in that first drive for 39 yards. And if we're speaking about quarterbacks, the Panthers are in this weird spot heading into next year. You know, maybe they make the playoffs. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're playing themselves outside of the draft picks for quarterbacks as well. So many other teams across the league need a passer is Sam Darnold the one who's going to come back next year too is, is a real question here. And I think a possibility, not saying it should be, but it might be what they have to do. Um, did have a really nice 47 yard conversion to DJ Moore down the middle of the field too.
I got a proposal for you. They keep Steve Wilkes, but they trade up with the Chicago Bears for the second pick to get the quarterback of the future, CJ Stroud. Uh, it's been McAdoo calling plays. We'll figure that out next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hayden, we'll go over to you with the Washington Commanders and the San Francisco 49ers. In the end, the 49ers went at 37 to 20. I am simply in awe of really this team where if I can make another analogy since I'm on that kick. So often when teams lose their starting quarterback, it's like a leg of a chair gets broken off. Like the others can still be, you know, nice and sturdy, but everything crumbles. Um, Just rewind. Trey Lance, week two, over to Jimmy. Jimmy's playing some of the best football he's ever played, and he's gone. Yet now you turn to this Mr. Irrelevant rookie, and what are we getting? An offense that is highly functional, and I think it comes back to the team understanding what to evaluate in the quarterback, the play caller building an offense around what succeeds at the NFL level, and then surrounding them with really efficient yards after catch, talented playmakers as well, and it's all you know with the spine of a great defense that they're working with at the, at the same time. Removing quarterback, I think that the 49ers probably had the best roster in the NFL, um, and it really came up here. We had Fred Warner. He has 13 tackles. Uh, Bosa has two sacks. I think he's going to be locking up defensive player of the year. There's a lot of players stepping up on the defensive side, and that's what uh, got Taylor Heineke benched, and the Carson Wentz comes in there. I think they're probably going to stick with Carson Wentz uh, with everything on the line. Uh, the commander 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one going in. Uh, still have a, a wild card uh, chance up for grabs but yeah like you said brock purdy's life's pretty easy uh obviously shanahan's throwing up everything uh, you got george kittle involved once again but uh, when george kittle is doing that stuff uh yards after the catch wise it's pretty easy for him to rack up some points so uh christian mccaffrey gets in there scores a touchdown this game uh was over um in the fourth quarter uh and then he gets out of there but uh there's no reason to rush debo samuel back at this point we'll see him in the playoffs the 49ers are beyond clinched up uh, i think they're gonna have like the third spot in the in the NFC. Um, but yeah, Purdy's doing just enough when you have these weapons and that, that defense in particular, uh, he doesn't have to do a whole lot himself. Uh, only two players have started their careers three and zero with multiple passing touchdowns since 1950, one being hall of famer, Kurt Warner, and the other being Brock Purdy right now. On throws 10 yards downfield this year, Purdy's 22 of 33 for 492 yards, five touchdowns, and one pick. And his interception this past week wasn't even his fault. It was Juwan Jennings basically trying to get benched himself and batting the ball up the air to the opposing defense. To Hayden's point, yes, Purdy has only thrown 13 passes with the 49ers trailing compared to 68 when leading, so the pressure has not been put on him yet. But again, he's still doing more than enough, in my opinion, uh, to take this team even further. And then we've also seen, we'll see what happens with them getting benched and these splits do go back further than this, but for this year at least, we've seen George Kittle now have a 24% target share with 16.5 fantasy points per game and the four games without Debo Samuel compared to a 17.5% target share and only 9.5 fantasy points per game with Samuel. Eight straight wins. Eight straight wins the 49ers have right now. I think you guys mentioned this, but he finished the second half 11 of 12. 179 yards, two scores, 15 yards per attempt. 15 yards per attempt. Like, this is truly one of the stories of the season, and if not longer than that, because I feel like I know the NFL. I knew nothing about Brock Purdy heading into this season. It wasn't even a factor into my brain. And look, we went through the timeline. 
But it goes beyond that. Like the entire focus was on Trey Lance and how he, you know, progresses and changes this offense, you know, more run action from the quarterback, more attacking outside the numbers and down the field, right? Then you go to Jimmy, who wasn't even a part of this organization during training camp and practicing, and he's playing at a high level. And now you get this shit. It's incredible what we're getting. And I hope it sustains throughout the playoffs. And but part of me, like the, 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 the fun and the chaos could be like, what if it doesn't? And like it all steamroads towards the end. And I think that that's an option here uh, once we get the playoffs as well. 49ers, they have the fourth highest odds of making the Super Bowl up at 28%. Uh, they only trail the Eagles in the NFC. Uh, and their pass is going to be much easier than the Cowboys, who are going to have to go on the road and win a bunch of games here. So, yeah, Purdy's playing well enough. We'll see what he can do um, the rest of the way. Uh, yeah, Commanders, a um, couple splits here just um, since Jahan Dotson uh, has returned. Curtis Samuels only averaged seven and a half, expected half PPR points. Uh, Terry McLaurin, the splits haven't really mattered all that much. I think Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, it's about the same. I, I do think Carson Wentz is better personally. And then for the running back position, uh, Brian Robinson, season high, 18, expected half PPR points last week, which doesn't make any sense because they because <laughs> they were losing. But they were really trying to establish it on the ground. I think trying to hide Taylor Heineke from uh, Nick Bosa. So, uh, good good year for Brian Robinson down the stretch. Um, we'll see what happens in week 18. I'm guessing Carson Wentz. Uh, and Sam Howe would make sense if this team was completely out of it, just to see what you have. But they are still flailing for a wild card. They are basically out of it, but they are still contending. So it probably will be Carson Wentz. And I know you said the splits don't matter, Hayden, but I do just want to say, like, we saw Carson Wentz with McLaurin. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but he was only over 20% target share and one of those games from Carson Wentz earlier this year. And now we've seen the last three games, Jahan Dotson has been over 20% all three weeks. So if Dotson is still available out there, I do think he's the number one pickup on waiver wires. This is a simple statement to make, and it might seem obvious to others, but again, so many teams are going to be searching for a quarterback that when you remove Taylor Heineke from this game, it pretty much signals he is not going to be the quarterback of the 2023 season as well. Like, yeah, you, you, you can't make one decision and then, you know, go back to him heading into mm -hmm. next year. So that'll be another team that'll be very fascinating to monitor. And remember, no more guaranteed money for Wentz. So I'm pretty sure we're done here anyways after this. Ooh, ooh. All right, we're done with this game. Let's now go over to the Seattle Seahawks and the Kansas City Chiefs. John Daigle, one that, you know, had some weather involved and one that we were expecting, you know, explosive offenses and only one team delivered in that a 24 to 10 victory from the Kansas city chiefs. And it feels like just like all of us, the season is very long and winding and coming to a lackluster end for this Seattle team with Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker, DK Metcalf and company. Seattle, who is now one in five over their last six games, they went two of 14 on third down and three of six on fourth down in this one. And it did really come down to the end. It was much closer than you would think, especially in a game where DK Metcalf gets injured, where Marquis Goodwin re-injures his wrist and in it as well. Seattle just running the ball heavily because they can't get anything going through the air via Kansas City's pass rush. But in the end, it was Patrick Mahomes pretty much stamping 
and putting himself further in the lead of the MVP race without Jalen Hurts and rushing for the red zone touchdown inside the 10-yard line when all collapsed around him in the fourth quarter. And that gave the Chiefs the eventual two-score lead that they milked until the clock ran out. And so overall now, we've seen over the last month of the season, more importantly for fantasy, this is a three-man offense. It is Travis Kelsey, who hasn't scored a touchdown in a month. Um, it is Judas Smith-Schuster, and it is Jarek McKinnon, all who have a 20% target share in their last four games. No one else is over 10% in that time. The ball doesn't go anywhere else except for a sprinkling of targets here and there. So at least we know it's finally condensed to their best playmakers. And the one of the primary reasons for that is Justin Watson still out there. He was second in uh, wide receiver routes at 23. He never gets the ball. Uh, MVS, his uh, routes only went down to 18 of 33. Kadarius Toney uh, finds the box, but only 10 routes there. And we, we'll get McCole Harbin back. But like, like you said, the, the MVP race is so beyond uh, closed up. It's it's so funny. We always uh, mention EPA per play where, of course, Patrick Mahomes is lapping everyone else. But the, the second part of that is the plays. Everything about this offense is through him, too. So it's not like it's like uh, some of these other quarterbacks where they don't have to sit there and do everything. He's leading an EPA per play and running the most plays as well. So, yeah, it's completely over for the MVP race. For so many years, when thinking about Patrick Mahomes, all you could think of was like the awesome arm angles, the extended plays, the deep shots to Tyreek Hill. And like, we're still getting those snaps of holding the ball for over three seconds and avoiding pass rushers. But again, what we're seeing so often too, is just his quick decisiveness inside the structure of the offense. And it's just, he's special in both categories. You know, he's special in both categories to either take what the defense is giving to him immediately or extend and beat you even when everything is covered up immediately. And that is so tough to counter against if you're a defense and impossible, I think. I have a question for you, Daigle, and even Hayden. You know, with what we're getting with these wide receivers, which is very little, as you all outlined, I wonder what the plan is heading into next year for Kansas City. Because just watching this team and how they run, you know, different personnel groupings and especially in the red zone and near the goal line, could they stay really big with like those three or four tight ends that they have and just get super shifty and yards after catch with their wide receivers and Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony? Um, and maybe Juju comes back in that fold. Like it's it's gonna be once again intriguing to me how they reload that wide receiver grouping because it feels like it's gonna happen for the second straight offseason. I think that they need a true X receiver like Travis Kelsey has been going absolutely nuts here. But I mean, how how many years could he possibly do this? I guess he's going to go for another thousand yards and <laughs> 12 touchdowns next year as a 39 year old or whatever he is. Uh, but I think that they got to use one of these high end picks on like a legit outside number one big time receiver um i'm not there's no good free agent wide receiver so they ha either have to make a trade or use uh probably i'm guessing the 32nd overall pick on a first uh first round wide receiver i think they at least get Kadarius tony back but i do question if they'll make a splash considering they had an ex receiver and they said we don't want to play the receiver market with everyone else we're going to do something else since we can put lesser players around patrick mahomes and he will make them better so I, maybe they actually just continue catering to Andy Reid's scheme more than anything. Yeah, I did want to bring that up. And the Kadarius Tony touchdown was pretty sweet. It was Miko Harbin-esque, but I would even yeah. say avoiding and reading the lanes that the defense was creating even better because a lot of people might just run this straight into this gap that 39 and 57 are being pushed out of, but instead he cuts it back even more with 65 cutting in front of him and boom, finds the end zone. 
from there. Um, and everyone's looking for these last round players in the gauntlet and best ball playoffs on underdog. And Nico Hordman's right there, mm-hmm. who was basically a touchdown player because they use him creatively in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And I'll also say, Clyde Edwards-Alaire sounds like he's going to be back the first round of the playoffs. I'm just saying. I think Jerry McKinnon's been too good since that. So good. Eight by uh, 13.1. Uh, half PPR points on 11 expected half PPR points. So that same split, Isaiah Pacheco down at 10.1. So without question, Jarek McKinnon over Isaiah Pacheco. I could see CH playing over Isaiah Pacheco. He's made a couple of blunders here and there uh, as expected as uh, a day three rookie. A couple of notes in the Seahawks real quick. Uh, netted 22 total yards in their first five drives. Okay. And then Gino, ever since, again, the Panthers defense, the 49ers defense, and then this Chiefs defense, it's been interceptions, it's been fumbles, it's been sacks. Let's not forget there's a big conversation that they have to have because the draft pick that they get from Denver this offseason. I'm very much in the Gino camp, but even the most honest of us can say that like he is – just not hitting as pure in these last few weeks as he was earlier on. Now there's been some offensive line issues. Obviously Tyler Lockett has missed some time. And I did want to bring up Tyler Lockett and his replacement because I and many thought it would just be easily Marquise Goodwin stepping one for one in there. And that actually wasn't the case. I mean, Goodwin basically kept his same previous role playing 31 slot snaps versus seven out wide. Um, Laquan Treadwell was the one who played way more snaps as the one who was playing as the outside wide receiver. So we didn't even get that, you know, wide receiver insurance, that wide receiver handcuff that we were expecting for Marquise Goodwin last week. And again, Goodwin and Metcalf injured in this one. So see, we'll see what happens in week 17 and 18. Also to your point, Josh, if the season ended today, so we'll see how it shakes out. Seattle, Seattle would have picks three, 12, 36, 50, and 81. That mm. is how you stockpile after a top two draft class just this past year. Uh, real, real quick with Kenneth Walker. Um, I saw some tweets early on, and then he got it going later. Uh, he only did have 12 of 47 routes run, and this was in trailing mode with DJ Dallas getting back in there. But even with that, uh, 14.7 expected half PPR points because they want to run the ball. The Seahawks still alive, 28% chance of making the playoffs. They play the Jets and the Rams. If they win those both of those games, they probably have a better than 50% chance of making it. So we'll see if they're going to rush Tyler Lockett back. Both of these are definitely must win games. Now. Cincinnati Bengals survived the new England Patriots 22 to 18 Joe Burrow attempts 52 passes in the cold, in the elements, three touchdowns, two interceptions that allows T Higgins to go eight for one twenty eight and one Jamar chase eight for 79. And yes, everyone's favorite Trenton Irwin to score two touchdowns himself. It was so Weird to look at these two teams, Hayden, because one, obviously the Bengals have an identity on offense. We're entering the same, you know, third and seven, third and five, third and three scenarios. And for at least the first half, we're connecting quickly and efficiently and, you know, entertainingly on all those. And then you conversely look at the New England Patriots and it felt like every single third down that they had, they had no freaking clue what they were doing had zero identity offensively. And really the only way that they got back into this game was a couple boneheaded plays and a couple of fluke snaps by their defense and even by their offense. In the first half, first downs, Bengals 22, Patriots 2. And I I couldn't find the right way to look in the databases, but I would guess that might be the largest discrepancy in a first half in a very long time. Uh, Joe Burrow started off 11 of 11. We had two touchdowns. Uh, Jamar Chase barely missed out on a bigger day here. He's missed in the end zone, uh, went out of the bounds at the two-yard line. Joe Burrow early on this game 
was an absolute beast, as was uh, T. Higgins. Had a, a powerful red zone touchdown early on. Uh, he barely missed a second touchdown in the corner of the end zone. And the reason why Irwin goes uh, goes crazy here uh, wasn't because he was playing a lot of snaps here. Tyler Boyd left. Uh, he re-aggravated that finger early on. He did return, but while he was out, uh, Irwin has a long touchdown. Joe Burrow has been playing excellent football. The second half kind of got weird. Um, the biggest part of it was, to me, and I haven't, I haven't pulled up the, the data quite yet, but early on, it was run, run, pass, punt, run, 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 pass, punt. It was just a disgusting coaching staff blunder early on. In the second half, Mac Jones was dropping back and throwing the ball further than I've seen Mac Jones do consistently. Uh, consistently. And I think that he has enough arm strength and, and definitely the accuracy to run that type of offense if they do want that. It was just so weird to see him literally go YOLO ball and it yeah. definitely he, he was on uh, some of the positive variation uh, of some of these getting into the end zone but <laughs> well, it was it was it was very exciting to see him to say screw it nothing's yeah. working and I'm just <clears throat> hucking it downfield to like guys like Kendrick Bourne and some other guys who came out of nowhere what well, Bourne popping up for nine targets six receptions 100 yards and a score is even more evidence that yes. what the hell is going on inside the Patriots building this season, because this was one of your most productive players last season who was making tough catches consistently, a huge factor in your offense. And then maybe because something that happened this year in June, July, or August that none of us know the information on has just been doghoused all year pops up and instantly is a jolt to your team, mm -hmm. like is a figurehead and then potentially coming back and winning this game that Ramondre Stevenson fumbles away, you know, with first down inside of the 10 or 15 yard line. Daigle, it's just another on the list of things of what the hell is going on the Patriots this year. And maybe there's real reason for it, but we have no clue why Kendrick Bourne wasn't a factor at all. As someone who drafted Nelson Aguilar in Battle Royals on Saturday morning, I can tell you, I don't know why Kendrick Bourne was a thing, especially because Aguilar was second on the team in routes run this two weeks ago. This past week, fourth, dead last among their active wide receivers. They just didn't use him. Instead, they went to Kendrick Bourne, who, for his sake, did actually make a ton of plays that none of their other receivers could have made. Some deep contested catches in this one. Like Hayden said, though, if you only watched the first half and you saw Burrow complete 28 first half passes, the most by a quarterback in any half this year for 284 yards and three touchdowns, you would have just turned the game off at halftime because you wouldn't think the Patriots could compete. And then, although they did cut the score to that one score game in the fourth quarter, they were still just the Patriots though. And this is a team that previously didn't make boneheaded mistakes because Belichick did not allow them to. They are constantly making the mistakes when it's crunch time this year. And this yeah. one, the missed extra point, uh, missed two point conversion. The punt. The punt uh, that was dropped on the ground and the then picked punt. up and almost blocked. The fourth quarter fumble. The yeah. fourth quarter fumble. Uh, a penalty for arguing about a flag, a 15-yard penalty. Like you never see those from Belichick teams, and they happen every game this year. So even, yes. I mean, even Hunter Henry leaves the game because he, he and Johnny Smith, one of them runs the wrong route and they collide. He yeah. has a knee injury. He's day-to-day -day for this. Like you said, yeah, they, they had to bench uh Aguilar here for um uh, uh, freaking uh, Kendrick Bourne, but even before that, Tyquan Thornton had a downfield dropout, could have been a 50 yard catch. It was a yeah. perfect pass. Jacoby Myers dropped a pass over the middle, so 
uh, it was just wild to see. The, the big takeaway for like the playoff picture here is the Bengals, they have a decision to make. Lyle Collins, he has an, uh, an injury here. We'll see what happens at the right tackle position if they bring somebody else in or if they feel comfortable with that. But we're back to the storyline. Is the Bengals' offensive line going to be the last thing that to kind of uh, hurt them in the playoffs? The Bengals have been missing a lot of guys recently um but they still look so good with joe burrow and t higgins and jamar chase final note in the patriots real quick daigle this season i feel like has worse vibes than that bridge year between brady and mac jones that we got you know jarrett stidham and cam newton with josh mcdaniels calling those plays because that was at least kind of fun and interesting on a weekly basis this is just frustrating pound your head into the wall stuff doesn't make sense then they're doing un belichick like things on a weekly basis and if they go to bill o'brien which is the current rumor it makes a lot of sense since it's just belichick going back to his friends does it even matter like does it matter what they well, do i think next i think what, what happens in that case is mac is on for next year too you know and speaking of the season being so freaking long remember bailey zappy like that feels like that was two seasons ago. The crowd remembers Bailey Zappi because they were chanting his name in the first half when Matt Jones was just throwing screen passes. Also for the playoff picture for both of these teams, the Patriots somehow control their own destiny. If they win their next two games, they get the final seed over the Dolphins and Jets to go to the playoffs, even though they do not deserve to go. And then the Bengals, if they lose on Monday night to the Bills, no matter what happens, week 18 against the Ravens is then for the AFC North Championship game. Mm. It is for the Patriots, though, the Dolphins and the Bills over <laughs> I was the next say. two weeks. So it's a little more complicated. Yeah. I did want to finish on a, on a nice note, and it's mainly on the Bengals side because we kind of saw the two sides of, of their offense here. The first one, the Patriots post-snap rotate into single high, middle field closed, and instantly Joe Burrow's like, okay, I'm going to hit my towering wide receiver in 85 over your awesome special teamer, but short guy at cornerback and let him moss you along the right sideline, right? So there's your, you know, single high, cover three, cover one beater. And then on the other end, on the Trent Irwin touchdown, that's a 23-yard touchdown pass. It's a perfectly threaded ball in between the two split safeties and cover two. So again, it's an answer for both where, you know, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins running vertical patterns on the outside, splits the middle of the field safeties across, and that leaves, again, the parting of the seas for Trent Irwin, of all people, to catch this beautiful ball over top of the other defensive backs. Good stuff, Joe Burrow. I will say Marcus Jones, uh, he did get taken advantage of. T. Higgins was taken advantage of just like the size mismatch. Marcus Jones yes. still balling out there. He pops up. I agree. He might be their freaking best player right now. It's insane. I agree. I think he's the first in the league with like a kick punt uh, and like wide receiver screen touchdown since Julian Edelman, which just makes sense. Very much a Patriots kind of player. All right, next game up. Um, let's go all the way back to Thursday night football. Why not? And let's talk about the Jaguars and the Jets. Jacksonville 19, New York Jets. Three more playoff dominoes have fallen. And we love these teams that play their best football towards the end of the year. That has not been the Jets as of late with Zach Wilson at quarterback, but it certainly has been Trevor Lawrence over his last five or six weeks. We loved his early stuff, ladies and gentlemen. 20 of 31, 229, no touchdowns in the air, one on the ground to go with 51 yards. And man, this team, even again, in difficult, bad conditions, the way that Doug Peterson has the play calling down pat utilizing Evan Ingram 
consistently as like edge handoffs, extended handoffs, get him on the move, get an athleticism and allow him to win after the catch. That is just a little microcosm of the entire forest of the picture that the Jaguars are putting out there. And it's impossible, I think, to not fall in love with Jacksonville at this moment. If they beat Tennessee um, in week 18, they win the division. Uh, this next week does not matter basically at all for the Jaguars. I haven't heard if they're going to rest any players or anything like that, but they're playing excellent football. Uh, the defense completely erased uh, Zach Wilson. I still don't think the, the defense is very good. It's more of an indictment on Zach Wilson's performance. But yeah, right now, Trevor Lawrence making all the throws in the world. Very athletic quarterback. Yep. And I think that's been the difference of like what – what is he going to end up turning out to be? Is he Matt Ryan? I think he's definitely going to be more than that because he has more athleticism than those types. I mean, when you're making the most out of Evan Ingram and uh, Zay Jones, I know Zay Jones completely busted this week, but when those are your number two and number three weapons in the offense and you're still uh, breaking out to this degree, uh, you're a special guy. And I attribute Zay Jones and Christian Kirk uh, combining for 36 total receiving yards to DJ Reed and Sauce more than anything else because the Jaguars really didn't have any issues moving the ball. They had 250 yards of offense in the first half. They are running the ball at will. It is literally just about avoiding everyone on the boundary and getting the ball over the middle. Zay Jones, two drops. Christian Kirk, one drop. So overall, you go back to Kirk and Zay Jones next week for sure. Hayden, Right before kickoff, I was thinking, and even it might have been after, you know, the first two catches that Evan Ingram had, thinking like this was kind of a predictable performance because think the weather, the wind, you don't want to test again these outside cornerbacks as much as you maybe have in previous weeks. And so, again, manufacturing, look at all these short receptions to the left side and then yards after catch opportunities to Evan Ingram. It was just a perfect script on a short week in order for Doug Pearson to do this. And with the names of Nathaniel Hackett and others going through there, heck Byron Leftwich and Adrian Wilson, remember that combination for Jaguars fans last year that they were craving for Doug Peterson is the right name to like to be ahead of schedule for Jacksonville right now. Cause almost certainly they're going to have a better roster heading into next year than they had heading into this year. Just hopefully this momentum continues for them too. Yeah, they're going to be massive favorites in the AFC South next year. They're going to be Super Bowl contenders. Um, yeah, Evan Ingram, tight end one overall in the last month in usage, ahead Love of it. Travis Kelsey and anybody else out there. Uh, pretty insane performance. I think the story of this game, though, is we knew that the Jaguars were trending in the right direction here. It was just like, how low is the floor with Zach Wilson? And we got our answer, and it was as expected. The floor is there is no floor. The floor is you can be Josh Rosen's in the NFL his NFL or his Jets career is very clearly over when you go to Chris Strebler who I had no idea uh, even existed outside of preseason uh, DFS um, yeah it's just like what how many picks are they going to get and I think that they're going to actually add some uh, a cap hit by trading him but they have no other option that's Jimmy G versus Mike White time and they'll get Mike White back this next week and the Jets now know, as you said, they are done with Zach Wilson. He has even been announced as a healthy scratch. It's a Monday. He's already been announced as healthy scratched and inactive for week 17. So we know his career is done. But also, this has put the Jets in a bind. They now have to win out, and they need the Patriots to win, lose one of their next two games, and that's their scenario to sneak in for the final spot. I've said enough about Zach Wilson, but uh, I'll just bookend it with this probably for the rest of the season. It's literally impossible to build an offense around him, you know? Like there's nothing to feature. 
especially in like the weather and the elements that we've seen so far this year when you get behind the scoreboard. I know a lot of Jets fans heading into this game were getting upset with Mike LaFleur saying, why don't you just roll him out? Why don't you get him on the move? That's not an offense. You know, it's not something you can do 20, 25 times a game. And most importantly, what we have seen is when people like Mike White, who will stand in the face of pressure and deliver big hits, in turn, cracking five, seven ribs, whatever it is. Or Chris Strebler comes in, who goes out and seeks contact. You can't play quarterback in this system. You can't play quarterback for a very long time in the league. If you are terrified, if you're allergic to contact, when in turn it gives up big plays. And Zach Wilson is completely terrified of taking a hit. And it results in bad decisions. It results in leaving pockets and it results in not, you know, executing the plays that are scripted and open for you down the field. I was looking back at my Zach Wilson uh, pre-draft uh, kind of write-up on him, and it said that he faced a 12th percentile strength of schedule. And he had a, that was that was in his one year where he broke out. Before that, he wasn't even a good college quarterback, and uh, they allowed only just 21 percent of his dropbacks had pressure. That was eighth out of 140 quarterbacks. My comp was Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he's going to have to be a gunslinger. You can see the arm talent and all mm. that stuff, but it's going to take some time to develop. And he was just never able to figure that out. So I don't think it's revisionist history to say that he had major flaws for being a second round or second overall pick myself. I think a lot of people had Justin Fields over him. I I had him uh, behind even Mac Jones. I think that there was still, you could still take a a first round uh, swing on this on him, but this was completely in the range of outcomes, right? We didn't have the pocket presence uh, thing answered in the NFL. That's one of the number one traits you have to have. He just never had it. The very first episode of this show. Charles Robinson was on for the second half of the episode. JT O'Sullivan was on for the first half. We talked through Trevor Lawrence, nailed that evaluation, even to the tune of, you know, missing three or four throws per game that you want back. And especially Zach Wilson, who was having throwing highways and his wide receivers were just better than the cornerbacks that were out there and winning contested catches over and over and over again. So if people want to hear our thoughts on those types of players, they are available on the podcast feed. Uh, before even their NFL drafts. Yeah. I mean, when you're okay with contact, the ball moves in this offense and I'm, I'm upset for jets fans that it's coming down to this in the end, but that is what happens in NFL seasons where you can get so hopeful, so excited about some of your young pieces, but when injuries hit to sometimes the worst positions and the best players, then things crumble behind that when you're probably not in your window to win at the moment, if that makes sense. Has, his surrounding quarterback situation made it a somewhat close call between Garrett Wilson and Brock Purdy for offensive rookie of the year. Or do you think Garrett Wilson already has it locked up? I think, I because I, I think Purdy is actually making a case towards the end of the year here. Yeah. I think if they went out, we'll see what happens. Okay. I think Purdy is making a case. I, I think I've looked at some long shot bets over the last 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. We'll go over now to the Giants and the Vikings, a game that uh, in pure Vikings fashion was probably closer than it needed to be. 27 to 24 here. Uh, Kirk Cousins in the end throws three touchdowns, 299 yards. And Justin Jefferson continues to look like maybe the most now irreplaceable offensive player in the league outside of quarterback. Just what he can do on the inside, on the outside, on screens, intermediate down the field, and then you throw in T.J. Hawkinson, who's so good at everything, Hayden, that he's also great in the end when the some of the pieces hit like they do in this game. 13 catches, 109 yards, and two scores himself. 
Yeah, if if the definition of offensive player of the year is best non-quarterback, then Justin Jefferson, to me, is running away with this. In the first 40 NFL uh, games, Justin Jefferson has 47 100 yards next closest Odell at 45 then you get to your Julio Jones Randy Moss Jerry Rice is way down below he's running away with the stuff he has I think only 244 yards to break uh, the 2000 threshold we'll see if they even have to play that week 18 game but he's been absolutely dominant and like you said at the top uh, the Vikings this is their 11th one score game Uh, that's the most all time uh, it took a lot of uh, work from Kirk Cousins. He had a beautiful touchdown to uh, TG Hawkinson where he took a hit on the knees. Um, but really what, what happened here at the very end was classic we- uh, Wink Martindale. He brought a blitz uh, on like a third and 14 or something like yeah. that. And Justin Jefferson throws a screen pass. Justin Jefferson makes a guy miss, goes down with just a couple seconds left, and they kick a 61 uh, yard game winning field goal. So it's kind of like the perfect encapsulation of the coaching staff on the Giants uh, being able to keep this game close, even though the talent mismatch between these two rosters is not even close, but at the very end, uh, an aggressive defense, you had the right change up to Justin Jefferson who can win the screen game downfield who can win everywhere. And that was the difference. You know, what's so frustrating on the giants end of that, but what's so awesome on the Vikings end of that is last week in the greatest comeback of all time against the Colts. They won that game with two screens at the end. It's the Dalvin Cook 60-plus yarder that he took for a touchdown, and then it's the Justin Jefferson screen in overtime to get it down for the game-winning field goal. Once again, it's a tunnel screen to set them up for a game-winning field goal on third and 11 with 19 seconds on their own 41-yard line. Daigle, how, and I know this is Wink Martindale, and you can't take this out of him, but how the hell can you send the house in that situation? Because that's what lost them the game. It really is. It's just who he is. And on the other side of the ball for offense, it's, it's so fun, and that's why I'm excited to see the Giants in the playoffs, because Brian Dable, unlike a lot of coaches, asks every week, how do we win this game? It doesn't matter about his philosophy. It doesn't matter about his skill players. It's literally just asking, how do we attack this defense on this week? And that's why you saw Daniel Jones have over 40 pass attempts for only the second time all year. Because if you're a run-heavy team, it doesn't matter when you know you can beat the Vikings deep. You let Daniel Jones sling it. And so it's just so awesome to see how he caters to each opponent individually. Yeah. And I think it's pretty clear in this one, Hayden, that they knew that T.J. Hawkinson was just going to be an advantage for them too. Like that first pattern, it was heavy play action after rolling out to the right. And instead of, you know, running a crosser or an over route, I think it's called a dino route where he works it back towards the opposite end. And it just puts, I think it was either 41 or 31 in a complete bind at that safety spot. The next one, he they basically ran a fade wheel touchdown with two wide receivers screening for him asking for the man coverage. I believe it was number 20 to run with him over top of that. And that's just impossible. He did a really good job actually. And then TJ Hawkinson just goes up and wins contested catch and brings it down. I'm not here to tell you that TJ Hawkinson is an elite tight end across the league, despite what the numbers said this past week. But what you do have as we open this conversation with is one of the premier talents at any position in the league with Justin Jefferson, and then three really solid role players to work around him and Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, who was the hero last week, and then TJ Hawkinson to do it. And a play caller that again, as Zago just said, can scheme one of those other guys up each week to maybe bring them over the finish line. 
that second touchdown was, I think, maybe the best play of Hawkinson's career. Uh, maybe aside from that yard after the catch one where he had uh, on the Lions. Um, I, I, real quick, I just want to end this with Daniel Jones has, I thought, played much better football this year than he has mm. at any point in his career. The, the Giants are going to have a decision to make. I don't think that you should give Daniel Jones a bunch of money here, but I would like to see him back in this offense with some more weapons. Uh, it was Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, and Richie James in three wide receiver sets. Uh, sets and then Daniel Bellinger is a full-time player. Uh, doesn't draw any targets and also had a fumble here. He is getting basically nothing from these skill group guys. Isaiah Hodgins is kind of popping up. He's like a big uh, outside wide receiver. Um, I think he'll, he will be in the mix for, for next season's uh, wide receiver rotation. But the fact that Daniel Jones even getting this team to the playoffs, and like Diggle said, 90% chance to make it, is a credit to not just the coaching staff, but I thought Daniel Jones has had less of those complete statuesque, uh, really bad uh, decisions this year. And I'm guessing Dan- or Brian Dable is a big part of that. But I think Daniel Jones has been playing much better recently. Hawkinson also averaging 14.3 points in the eight games since he joined the Vikings, set a new single game record for catches by a Vikings tight end in this one with 12 and his only, only his eight game with the franchise. And then, of course, we're all on lookout in week 17 and 18 as Justin Jefferson is now only 208 yards shy of Calvin Johnson's single season record. Final note on Daniel Jones, only five interceptions this year and six fumbles, which is a huge change in his game. Obviously bringing in two young tackles helps that and filling in some pieces along the end here. The play calling does too, but going from 19 fumbles and 10 fumbles in your first two seasons Mm -hmm. down to just six this year. And then the interceptions are even more drastic, you know, 12 and 10 and then, down to five this year. Uh, again, we brought up with so many of these teams, quarterback carousel, it's going to be slim pickings once we get to the end of it, that I don't think Daniel Jones is the worst, you know, cart to ride on at the end of that one. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he returns. No, but I feel like we talked about this last week. Is the Daniel Jones led Giants offense who Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka want to be in the end, or they just like stick with it for another year, you know, like, cause I, I, what I love about Dayball, even though he's not the play caller, he obviously has such a huge part in organizing the offense, is that he's changed his ways and his stylings based on the personnel that are there. So I can't even tell you what his absolute pure vision is for what he wants the offense to be because, again, it was so different in Alabama, it was very different in Buffalo, and now it's different here with the Giants suit, which speaks to how good of a play caller, well, I should say, uh, offense builder he is. Yep. All right, next up. Um, where should we go? Let's go to the Buffalo, speaking of them, Bills, being the Chicago Bears 35-13. to 13. Uh, In the end, Josh Allen, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Justin Fields' only touchdown on the day was on that first drive, 119 yards. Absolutely nothing on the Bears' end. And where we talked about weather so much heading into this week, the biggest week ever for weather, some might say, Josh Allen is seemingly immune to it every single season where others crumbles, he thrives. And yet still struggles initially for the Bills offense in the first half in this one, even though the box score and final score wouldn't show it. Josh Allen, a force thrown to double coverage for an interception to the end zone oh. in the first half. And you start thinking after the Bears scored so easily, six-yard touchdown pass to Dante Pettis in their first possession, you start thinking, okay, uh, maybe the Bears can hang around here. But eventually it all catches up. And now you've seen since week eight, whenever they traded Roquan Smith, um, also 
removed some other key defensive players. Robert for, Quinn. Robert Quinn for the Bears. Name slipped my mind. Um, you're seeing the Bears defense just falling apart now. The only defense since week eight in the second half of the season allowing over 30 points per game, and they're allowing 32 points per game. They're allowing 152 rushing yards per game, and it finally just clicked that that's the way you attack them in the second half of the Bills as they rushed for 254 yards and eight yards per carry between Allen, James Cook, and Devin Singletary, a concerted attack on the ground. Stephon Diggs was not targeted yet again in the first half in this game, but still became only the sixth player ever to record at least 100 catches and 1,200 receiving yards in three or more consecutive seasons. It really got opened up in the second half, too. Devin Singletary, 33-yard touchdown run. The Bills then took their first lead of the day in the third quarter. And then after that, David Montgomery fumbled on the next drive, which then led to James Cook's 22-yard touchdown run. So just the dam breaking and everything falling apart there. But overall, we thought Justin Fields would at least get a little bit closer to Lamar Jackson's single-season rushing yards record, but he hurt his ankle in the second half. He only finished with 11 rushing yards on the day, and now he's a full 196 yards shy of it, and I just don't think he can get there unless he's truly full go, which is unfortunate considering the season he's had. And I don't even want him to do it. This season's over. I just want him to to get healthy going into the offseason here. Uh, the Bills' ground game really got going the second half. Uh, Naeem Hines only played three snaps here, so it has consolidated to just uh, Singletary and Cook. I don't think that you should get too carried away with either of them. I know they popped up in the box score here, but uh, they're still expected half PPR points or hovering around like 10 uh, when it's just those two. Um, yeah, the dig stuff was, was very interesting. That This was like his lowest performance in a very, very, very long time. Um, but at least if we are getting the poor digs performance, at least we get ourselves a Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox touchdown. Uh, as you could probably tell, I tried to act like I watched this game. I did not. So that's why the opening here, Daigle caught me in it. Uh, I did though, Hayden want to be a big wingman for you and say, you got a lot of heat, you know, heading into this week with the rankings, focusing a lot on the weather. A lot of the comments were in relation to Justin Fields and how you could not have him as a top 10 quarterback, as a top 12 quarterback, that he's bound to put up 30 points. We love Justin Fields, but when you, again, factor in the weather and factor in the wide receiver injuries, factor against who he's going against, this is why he finishes as the quarterback 25 this week with less than, you know, 10 fantasy points. And I think also shows that it's not just about if a player is in weather, then we have to dock them completely because Josh Allen was playing in the same exact weather. It's also, again, talking about your process that you unveiled to everyone last week. Also team totals, projected totals, all that stuff. And so this is why you couldn't just count Josh Allen in the same boat as Justin Fields, even though they were playing the same stadium. Because again, the two projections were wildly different. Dante Pettis, Byron Pringle were the full-time players for Justin right. Fields, a wide receiver. So or, that's a pretty big difference. Whereas when other people tried to force that same logic of weather onto DJ Moore, onto Joe Burrow, onto gosh, so many other weather games, even Alvin Kamara, let's say it was like, no, like I'm not, I cannot have that. You cannot just say it's cold out. These players aren't going to do anything. No. That's crazy. Okay. Uh, next up, let's go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what amounted in an awful Sunday night football game against the Arizona Cardinals, 19 to 16 in overtime, 32 of 48. Tom Brady closed this game as uh, that looks nice on paper for 281 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. Daigle, have you seen his passing chart yet? Because it is one of the most ridiculous sights 
you have ever seen. Here it is. Look at every single of these completions behind oh the line of scrimmage, inside of five yards. And this Scott Casimir had an interesting tweet here. Brady's 10 completions by air yards down 16 to 6 to 16 to 16 tied. It equaled zero air yards and gained 93 all after the catch. So I'm not going to say this is a perfect summation of who Tom Brady and what this offense is and what we've seen them evolve into this year. But, man, I just don't want to watch it anymore. The offensive line took a couple of big hits here. Uh, their backup left left tackle, I believe it was, uh, he gets injured here. Tristan Wirfs had a step back. So there's everything's caving around him. He doesn't want to take hits. And a couple of these downfield passes on the rare occasion have just been missed. I don't think it's an arm strength thing that's gone away from Tom Brady this year. It's, it's not wanting to take a hit a little bit more. And some of the accuracy has gone away. And that's why Mike, even Mike Evans busted with the Cardinals missing a bunch of players on defense. Like Daigle's been saying is we keep kind of extrapolating the, what if the bucks turn this thing around? Let's use some of these other stats. What happens in December and January for Tom Brady, this roster right now is too banged up and Tom Brady is not himself at this point. We can't expect the turnaround to happen. If they lose this next game uh, to the Panthers, they'll go from being in the playoffs to having a top 10 pick. Yeah. I, the Bucks are averaging as many yards per play, five, as the Commanders and Broncos. They are 28th in points per game on the year. Mike Evans has averaged 6.8 fantasy points across his last seven games. I feel like I'm in a world of my own whenever I listen to the broadcast and I see people talking about the Bucks on Twitter. Like, do we not understand this is one of the worst teams in the NFL? They are merely a product of NFC football, not to anything that they are doing. They can't run. They can't pass. They can't coach. They can't score. I don't know why we give the Bucks any like serious discussion or conversation when they are not good at all. Yeah. Trace McSorley on the other end, speaking of not very good at all, it's incredible to me that he was able to get up to 217 yards. Um, the best part of this game, twofold, James Conner being one of the players that you need towards the end of the season. I'll let mm -hmm. you speak on that in a moment, Hayden, with 15 carries, 79 yards, and a score to go along with another seven receptions for 41 yards. And also one of the more puzzling occurrences of the week was Greg Dortch, just like he did earlier in this year when shoved into a starting role in the lineup, getting 11 targets, 10 receptions, and 98 yards. For some reason, since coming back from injury, even without Rondell Moore, Cliff Kingsbury decided to play this dude just nine total snaps over the last two weeks in offense. Now, again, you give him a full-time role in the slot, and he performs for you. I think Greg Dorch is like one of the more underrated role-playing wide receivers in the world. Yeah, season high 13.4 expected happy bear points out of nowhere, like you said. And it's been hurting uh, Marquise Brown, who's only had 8.0 8 expected happy bear points. It's just not a real offense with Trace McSorley. We'll see if they get Colt McCoy back. The season's completely over. There were some rumors about Cliff Kingsbury's status. Um, just going back to James Conner, like you said, uh, zero tweets over the last two months, despite in his last six games over that, averaging 19.1 happy bear 19.1. Have you guys, seriously, have you guys seen a single tweet uh, giving any James Conner credit. This is absurd to me. He's actually playing good football on top of this. Uh, he's got the, he's like the only player in the NFL that's playing 90% of the snaps. Nobody cares. I freaking love it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Let's go over to the Houston Texans beating the Tennessee Titans 19 to 14. Uh, Ryan Tannehill out for the remainder of the season. I believe correct me if I'm wrong on that. So Malik, Malik Willis steps in here, goes 14 of 23 for 99 yards and two interceptions. And one of the worst, minute and 10 second drills I've ever seen to end this game. 
remember when he was being mocked first overall yeah. that agent deserves more credit to this uh there was some of these post-game comments from mike rabel by the way are just really sad he's like legit like depressed down there and yeah the 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 Titans, the, the big thing from this week because they lost this game is this week 17 game does not matter at all. If they win, they lose. The playoff odds do not matter. It's all about can they beat the Jaguars in week 18. Ian Rappaport po- posted this on Twitter and it caught my attention. In week uh, or in 2019, the Titans were in a very similar situation here and they decided not to play Derrick Henry. Are they going to rest Derrick Henry and get him ready knowing that they can't win this game with Malik Willis in, in week 18 when it, all, all the stuff matters? I'm wondering if Hassan Haskins might draw a start here. If you're playing Derrick Henry in the finals, go pick up Hassan Haskins just in case things get weird here. Uh, but bottom line, Malik, Malik Willis cannot run an NFL offense or the Traylon no. Burke stuff, your favorite chick plays, all that stuff's down the drain here. Uh, I'm not even sure if they're going to play any offense this next week. Malik Willis completed just 40% of his pass attempts under pressure against FBS independent competition. This year with the Titans, he is completing 50% of his passes for four and a half yards per attempt, three picks, zero touchdowns. Uh, I I lose it anytime someone compares him to Michael Vicker, a rushing quarterback, because he's also a very bad rushing quarterback. He's not good at that either. And it's just not really an NFL offense right now. Ryan Tannehill, also the team can save $19 in cap space by moving on this offseason. I think we come back under Vrabel and see an entirely different offense around trail on Burks. And I don't know what's going to happen, but dude, like we're not going to recognize nine of the names on this team next year. Just Chig, one catch for 10 yards. Traylon Burks, no catches, but one run for 15 yards. And Chig, sorry to cut you off, 41% route rate with Burks back. It's our worst fears. It, it's, it's an either or. It's not a both at the moment. Uh, look, even when the Titans walked into the season with just about everyone healthy, it was not going to be a fun or entertaining offense to watch on a weekly basis. And now it's beyond that. It's unwatchable. Um, Malik Willis could not see the middle of the field. He was a downfield vertical passer just to the sidelines or short receptions on the outside to the sidelines. And I'm not trying to write off a guy's career early on, but I, there haven't been any progressions so far. Like if they really do want to win that week 18 game, Hayden, there was my Panthers memory is jogging me and anyone who's watched this and remembers it say in the comments after this video is over. They went down to Atlanta one time with Chris Winkie at quarterback, and all that they did was run Wildcat with D'Angelo Williams and someone else through the entire game over and over. And I think Chris Winkie or someone may have only thrown the ball one or two times, and that's it. And that's it. And I feel like that is the best avenue for success for this offense right now. Because as you said, Daigle, there's not even like rushing prowess that we can extrapolate on a drive-in, drive-out basis for a real athlete at the position. Chris Chris Winkie is a former Heisman, by the way, Hayden, just in case you were not aware. You want it at 28 years old or something. (laughs) Yeah. Great great last name, if I say so myself. Uh, Malik Willis, going into this game, only had like three and five designed runs uh, in his start. So it's not like the Michael Vick or the Justin Field stuff, like you guys said. He's he's a big, powerful guy. I think he can do it if they do ask him. And I think at this point, you have no choice but to ask him. I, I Give me the Derrick Henry and Malik Willis wild car, uh, Wildcat stuff, uh, but I think in Week 18. I understand the Titans were missing three offensive line of this game. Ben Jones, starting center, put on IR in the week. But still, this year, 
Malik Willis is averaging a sack for every seven dropbacks. That's just not going to cut it. They lost their right tackle in Petit Frere, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Taylor Wan's been missing the entire season. And right guard Nate Davis side. didn't play because oh. of an ankle injury. They might be down literally four out of five starters. And oh. I, I don't want to take that away from the Texans, though, because this is a full oh. month now where they're messing around and fighting for Lovey Smith. And You're I right. don't know why, but a month ago, did not allow a single offensive touchdown to the Deshaun Watson debuting Browns, lost to the Cowboys by four, lost to the Chiefs in overtime by six, and then outright beat the previously division leader. So, like, the Texans are messing around, and I don't know why. Yeah, and the dude who wanted to quit the team and Brandon Cooks pops up for the game-winning score in the back of the end zone. You know? I don't don't understand it, but good for them. The New Orleans Saints beat the Cleveland Browns 17-10. to So, early in this game, you know, Deshaun Watson gets a rushing score after, I believe, an interception or a turnover by the New Orleans Saints. They go out in an early lead. And almost immediately after that, the Saints just showcase their more diverse running game in terrible weather. Um, Taysom Hill running the football. Alvin Kamara taking direct snaps. There were edge runs out of pass looks. Then off of that, when the defense would inch closer and closer to the line of scrimmage, they'd hit our dude, Rashid Shahid, on crossers and allow him to win after the catch. Um the key of it all really seemed to be the rookie Trevor Penning, who's missed most of the season with a preseason injury, stepping in as a sixth offensive lineman and moving edge linebackers, moving safeties and corners way out of the hole and creating canyons to run through. Uh, the Browns did have chances to win in the end, you know, 17 to 10, seven minutes ago, third and two near midfield. They call a pass. Rot- Deshaun Watson runs around and it comes incomplete. Then again, on fourth and two, They call another pass despite, again, building their offense around offensive line and the running backs, and he overshoots Donovan Peoples-Jones for a first down. It felt like every yard on that drive before those two passing plays were generated by Nick Chubb on the ground, and again, they put the ball in their new quarterback's hands, and he wasn't able to come up victorious. They did have one more chance, one minute to go even, at the 15-yard line, zero timeouts, four straight passes, and it ends with a Deshaun Watson sack where 96 dropped into almost drop eight, and then on a delay, rushes Deshaun Watson and sacks him, and the game is over. So, look, it's been bad weather, what, last week, bad weather this week for Deshaun Watson in this offense, but we are four games in, and it looks far less efficient. It looks far worse. And in the end, he finishes 15 of 31 for 135 yards and 24 rushing yards. Amari Cooper also with a dropped touchdown in this yep. game. But as you said, the last month of the season now for the Browns, Deshaun Watson has led three touchdown drives. That's it. It's been a disaster to watch it. Yeah, 24th out of 25 in EPA per play uh, over that stretch. And he just seems so uncomfortable in the pocket, you know. And it's just like... I, I'm loving this personally, uh, just watching this Browns team completely melt down. I like some of their players, but this is this is worse than we, we would have expected. And he's still athletic out there, but man, like everything seems difficult. And this we got to remember, this is a very quarterback friendly offense. We got Jacoby Brissett. They were propping up Baker Mayfield uh, before he got injured. Uh, Kevin Stefanski's a hell of a coach usually, but man, they can't do anything. Jacoby Brissett has been light years uh, better. And Uncomfortable is the right word because there are times when the pocket is clean, like I was saying, that 
the Saints were dropping eight, where he would almost do the hokey pokey in the pocket. Like he would go forward, then go back, then go forward, then go back, rather than just like stay patient and understand where the cavities could be in the defense. And yeah, I mean, to your point, Hayden, if he came in here and played well, since he practiced with them all preseason, he practiced with them about two or three weeks ahead of coming back onto the field, and you beat the Bengals and you beat the Saints, then you're right there in the thick of somewhat of a playoff race. But no, his play is a main determining factor in them not being relevant when we're hitting the end of December and January. And they were thankfully officially eliminated from playoff contention with this loss this past game. Uh, And I don't even think this performance from the past month translates to next year. But the matter of the fact is he's been a piece of shit for these last four games. Yeah, and the Browns, it's it's they're in a tough spot because of the trade. They have one pick inside the top ninety-eight, uh, and that's pick forty-two as it stands right now. So uh well, lots of holes. Saints aren't any better uh with their draft pick uh it's responsibilities. Worse. <laughs> they're they're the the amount of draft picks that they have heading into this because of the trades that they made. And I think one of them was to get Trevor Pinning, who again popped up here and was a, a major part of it. So, all right, just a couple more games to hit on here. Uh, let's go on over to the Falcons at the Baltimore Ravens. We're Baltimore in the end, win 17 to nine, 10 and five on the season. And they also don't look right. I mean, Tyler Huntley, despite what we saw at the end of last year, now only throws 115 yards in week 16. And just as we think that J.K. Dobbins is the bell cow of this offense, checks in for 12 for 59, Guess Edwards pops up to average nine yards per carry, a long run of 37, and takes his 11 carries for 99 yards. I had Tyler Huntley hires on 33 and a half rushing yards, and he ran the ball 30 or 11 times and did not crack that. I was tilting yards. massively in here. But this is the Navy offense right now uh last week this was their personnel they had a fullback and two different tight ends play 14 more snaps than their number one wide receiver demarcus robinson and after that they had two running backs play more snaps than the second wide receiver which is like sammy watkins this is a not a serious <laughs> offense but it doesn't matter the ravens are in the playoffs and we uh might not see lamar jackson until they make it to the playoffs because what's the point uh, going back to the JK Dobbins, Gus, Gus bus situation. I think that's another name for waivers uh, Gus Edwards. If they're not going to be bringing back Lamar Jackson, they've already clinched the playoffs. Why give JK Dobbins a bunch of work this next week when he's already battling through the injury. It's clear that they want him to be the number one guy. Uh, but what if they give Gus bus a couple more carries this next game? So uh, but like you said, this is, this is an unserious offense right now because everyone's injured. Yes, Baltimore has only allowed 45 points in their last four games, which is impressive, but you don't really know how much to put into that because those four games came against Russ, Kenny Pickett, Deshaun Watson, and Desmond Ritter in this one. If you look at their last four scores, they've gone three and one in this stretch. They've played games of 10 to 9, 16 to 14, 3 to 13, and 17 to 9. They're playing 1950s a single face mask football. It is an absolute mess out there. The good news is, though, the way their seeding is jostled, they likely end up playing the Jaguars or the final seed in the AFC, so it's probably safe. Yeah, and they're still a scary team to me because, one, they're well-coached. The defense has been amazing. Roquan Smith's been a part of that. And if Lamar Jackson catches fire here, this team 
is pretty dangerous. I think that'll be pretty close uh, spread, even though it'll be on the road, probably in Jacksonville. I'm still not writing this team off, but right now, like what it looks like, you, like you said, 1940s, 1930s, uh, it's insane. Quickly on the other end, Hayden, has anyone climbed the rankings more in the last few weeks for 2023 than Tyler Algier? Because he looks spicy, man. I mean, 18 carries for 74 yards against, it might not sound great, but against this Ravens defense that has done an outstanding job at stuffing the run. You know, the number one run defense according to DVOA over the last month and a half. Algier, again, I can't point to one special thing that he's done. Against the Saints, it was breaking and forcing missed tackles. I'm he looks a little, you know, quicker, more acceleration, more speed, more juice to his game. I feel like than I even saw in the early portions of the season. Season high, 19.8 expected half PPR points in his post by rookie bump, the undefeated post by rookie bump. That is uh CPAT. His snaps are going down. Uh, Algiers, 62% snaps, obviously with the Falcons eliminated. Why give 31 year old running backs carries when you have somebody like uh, Tyler Algier? Um, Drake London keeps popping up his like target shares, all that stuff post Kyle Pitts has been phenomenal. Uh, I don't think Desmond Ritter clearly is not the answer here. I, I think he played a little bit better this week than he did last week, but that's not saying um, a whole lot. So I think Tyler Algier is kind of interesting for this next week. Um, I think they're just going to try to jam it down their throats and see what they have in the rookie. And but against 22 touches for Tyler Algier. And like they can move on from CPAT this offseason if they want to. Without Caleb Huntley injured, uh, who he's been injured the last two games, Algier hadn't handled more than 11 touches in any game um, when it was a three-headed backfield. But these past two weeks, as you said, 17 touches and 22 touches, and now what we think could be positive game script against the Cardinals. like It's a really good spot for Algier this week. I'll put it this way, Josh. You're lucky that Zach Ertz is, is injured right now because your first <laughs> Algiers week 17 correlation stacks are looking pretty fire right now. Right, right, right. Yeah, Trace McSorley throwing to uh, Zach Ertz would have been gold. Uh, Greg Dorch would have saved me in that department. Um, There's also like this awful fourth and goal communication towards the end of the game with Desmond Ritter. Uh, Drake London once again pops up for the exact same scenario that he did last week where he fumbles the game away. Uh with a crossing route over the middle of the field. Um, but as we are seeing, if Drake London and Daigle, you, I, did you tweet this out? No, it was Ian. Ian tweeted it out where without Kyle Pitts in the fold, you know, Drake London is seeing a lot more targets and obviously a lot more opportunity. I think sure. Maybe some of it is Kyle Pitts, but I think the quarterback change has even more to do with that. Yeah. And then the, uh, again, there's going to be probably an even bigger quarterback change this off season. So, uh, Hayden, I guarantee you, you and I will be, Hyping up Drake London in comparison to his ADP next season. Let's put it that way. Ryan Tannehill, please. Let's make it work. Okay. I think just two more games to go. Uh, Let's go to the Broncos and the Rams, a game I certifiably did not watch on Sunday. So you guys are going to carry me in this one with the Rams putting up 51 points on the Denver Broncos. Two teams that just want to get to 2023. Baker Mayfield already got one of his head coaches in Carolina fired, and now he has gotten one fired on Denver sideline with Nathaniel Hackett. So he ends this day, Daigle, 24 of 28 for 230 and two scores. I want to first applaud the Nickelodeon broadcast because they allowed slime on field goals this year. So we got slime all the time considering this was the most I've seen grown men give up since Wade Phillips and the Cowboys defense quit on him in primetime and the Packers that game before he was fired because Mm -hmm. the Broncos are not playing for Nathaniel Hackett. We're not. 
they still are not playing for Russell Wilson as even Brett Rippon is getting in fights now with the offensive linemen because twice in this game, Russell Wilson was sacked and he looks around and no one is coming to help pick him up. They do not care right now about Russell Wilson or this offense. And it was just a disaster from the very beginning. Cam Akers, the overall RB1. I went to text Hayden yesterday because apparently Akers is still on 653 remaining best ball teams. And he's the guy you need considering Daryl Henderson isn't on a single live bullet. And here's Akers finishing with 10 more fantasy points than the next closest running back in week 16. What a mess. But it overall just comes down to this Broncos team is a joke. And yeah. yes, you got rid of Hackett, who do not say worst coach ever. We are a civilization that attention span is the shortest it's ever been. You already forget Urban Meyer is the true goat, and I will not ever let his legacy die. But Nathaniel Hackett, like you remove the coaching, the poor coaching decisions, you still have Russell Wilson. That's still a problem. More importantly, you still have Russell Wilson for the next two years because you can't get out of it. Everyone talks about cutting him. The NFL record for dead cap was $40.5 million by Matt Ryan. Like, Russell Wilson over the next two years is over double that dead cap hit. Everyone talks about Carson Wentz and taking on $28 million guaranteed. You can't take on Russell Mil Wilson's $100 million guaranteed. Like, no one's going to suck this up. You're not going to split it down the middle with another team until 2024. I don't think you're getting out of it for the next two years. Yeah, Benjamin Albright, who covers the Broncos, he's already been saying that the next coach is going to be trying to find a plan for fixing Russell Wilson. And yes. if you look at the, the cap structure, how it works is basically they can't get out of this contract. Maybe if you get a team to, to take on the contract, but what team would do that right now? What's going to happen? They're going to try this with a new coach next year. And then uh, in the 2024 offseason, they can do a post-June 1 cut, which kind of takes half the remaining salary for this year and then the other half the next year even with that it would still be 42 and a half million dollars in 2024 in dead money and tw uh, 42 yeah. million dollars in 2025 both of those would be records like you said with matt ryan and carson Wentz. more than that uh so they're going to be running it back with russell wilson with a new offensive coach we'll see if they try to fire sale some of these guys like Cortland Sutton. does he get on the move and all that stuff but right now i thought there was a entire season of new lows for the Broncos last week's was by far the lowest it's ever been. But here's the issue. I do not expect Russell Wilson to change. Maybe he can get a little better, which would be league average, but the days of top 10 quarterbacking to me are done. And maybe mm -hmm. that is a jump based on this recent season that we saw, but his style of play, and we talked about this heading into this season, Hayden, it does not translate when you get older, right? This is the Russell Wilson offense. Just when you, because you're going to bring in a new play caller, I don't think his style is going to be able to be molded any differently. He doesn't see the middle of the field. He doesn't play the quick game. He loves to throw these passes down the field and outside the numbers. And Corton Sutton knows that now being irate with him mm -hmm. on the right sideline on that awful interception into the end zone. Like, I know these are small age differences, but at 31 years of age, Russell Wilson was getting all pro votes and like was the second team all pro quarterback or something like that. And now at 34, it just doesn't hit the same, you know, and it's because that same outside of structure hero ball to extend plays and launch it down the field is not a real tangible offense, especially with how coverages have changed because of Russell Wilson in some ways to run more of these cover two shells, right? So look, maybe at the end of it, you get league average play from Russ, but this is all propelling towards 
really dire situations. And George Payton, the guy who ultimately made the deal and paid him such a gigantic contract, is also the one navigating it in the end as well. It sounds like the owner is going to make the decision and the CEO of the coaching uh, hire, not George Payton. That's what their reports were today. And it makes sense. Yeah, George Payton, he's holding on to dear life. I will say this Broncos defense has been absurd all year. And they've had a lot of injuries. They've traded away players and stuff. And they still uh, had been showing up until this last game where Cam Makers pops off. You have Tyler Higby popping off, Baker Mayfield popping off. So until this last game where everything fall out, the Broncos defense was playing really well. The, the defense coordinator should be getting um, some head coaching interviews. He's kind of an up-and-coming guy for the Broncos. And the other part of this is Edgero, who is the first-year defensive coordinator. Does he stick around, or does he get a job somewhere else, too? Like, I don't know, even in the span of the show, if he's the one who's been named interim head coach because he's the – you know, most coveted, one of the most coveted defensive names out there and probably will get head coaching opportunities and interviews this summer as well. Yeah, I mean, Dago, not to keep harping on this, but from what you have heard from former teammates, and it's much easier to say now, you know, through these last few months of the season, it just seems like Russ is unplayable, unlikable, and unmoldable in a lot of different ways, you know? And you go from... Heading into last offseason, if a team had a head coach opening and Russell Wilson was a, the quarterback, that would be a coveted position. I think it's the opposite now. I, I'll be very intrigued to hear what name, because I, I truly do not believe Sean Payton would want to work with Russell Wilson at this moment. And you say it's been the last few months, but even just go back to this past game against the Rams where there are clips out there on social media where Russ is hiding his mouth with a football on the sideline, trying to talk to his offensive lineman who's right in front of him one-on-one. It's like he's playing to the cameras almost. So you can't, you, it's hard to blur the lines like and figure out what's real. Like, is he a person? Like we don't even know his personality because he's one big gimmick. So it's just, if you've already lost the team in your first year, like how, if these players are returning, especially your franchise players, like why would they follow you into battle next year either? It's, it's just such a bad situation to be in. The good news for the Broncos is the, the owners are the Walmart owners and the coaching uh, the pockets are deep. The, the coaching doesn't go on the cap hit. So I think that they can probably lure any coach that they want if they needed to. Uh, also the longest season ever personified is K makers, a dude who, was supposed to be in a running back by committee this summer that we learned in the first day of training camp with he and Daryl Henderson to being phased out in week one of this entire offense to at the trade deadline trying to be sold for nothing to any team that would take him to now popping up in week 16 for 23 carries, 118 yards, and three scores. Fantasy football is uh, a wild game. Let's put it that way. 80% of the team's backfield touches the past two weeks. Unreal. <laughs> and even Tyler Higby. Like, yeah. you go from being this year's Dalton Schultz early on to just short passes and volume to then doing literally nothing mm-hmm. for months mm-hmm. and now popping up for nine for 94 and two. I think some of that was Ben Skronik being out. We'll see if he uh, is out for this next game. And a lot of just first reads to Tyler Higby. Um yeah, the can maker stuff's really tilting me. And then, and, and then, <laughs> even on top of that, Daryl Henderson is the one who's ultimately cut and now cut from his second yeah. team as well. Okay, let's close it out. I think just one more game: Las Vegas Raiders, Pittsburgh Steelers. We save Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, final touchdown with about forty seconds to go to seal it. 
this game was pretty unwatchable from all around. Awful weather, white covered turf, Derek Carr looking like he just wanted to find a 70 degree room and sit in it. Because in the end, he throws for just 174 yards and three interceptions. And because of this weather mix that we're getting here, Daigle, Josh Jacobs, who was arguably the best value, the fantasy MVP for the regular season, now concludes many people's years with just 15 carries for 44 yards. Only right that the guy that gets you here also (laughs) is the one is also the one who sends you packing as they asked him after the game as well about his thoughts on the situation. And he not only brought up this year saying that it just sucks seeing everyone show up, bust their ass and steal no results to come of it. He literally said, it's been like that the last four years. So I understand they can franchise tag him. They can figure out a way to get him back. He certainly, if he had his choice though, would never return to this team on a contract. And I also wonder what the hell happens with Derek Carr here, because we're still seeing, a replacement level league average quarterback as we've seen for basically his entire career since he had back surgery. And now over the next two games, I don't even know if you play him because he has this niche in his contract where he's guaranteed his $33 million salary next year and seven and a half million of 2024 if he's injured in one of these next two games. So I think you just bench him and see what happens after that, because this team is a mess. He was pretty good last year, I thought. This year, he has not been very good. It's been pretty much that. It's not just Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs. Darren Waller, since uh, in the last two games since he's returned, he's played fewer snaps than Foster Moreau. They can save $12 million against the cap if they trade Darren Waller. So this is a team where they're going to be searching for answers. I think that the coaching staff is safe just because they'll say, oh, it was one-score games that we lost and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But there could be massive changes depending on what the free agency landscape, like players like Tom Brady and all that stuff come available. So I don't think anybody's safe uh, on this team, uh, nor should they be. This was a lot of money spent for, I would say, probably an average offense, and that's just not cutting it. I don't know if this topic has been broached, but it feels like Devontae Adams picked the Raiders because of his relationship with Derek Carr. Like I believe it was reported that the Packers even offered him more money, and he was like, no, I want to get out of there. So, like, if they move on from Derek Carr, is their best offensive player going to be happy next year, too? Like, I understand if Tom Brady comes in, then obviously every wide receiver, despite what we've seen this year, would probably want to still play with Tom Brady. But, like, I think that's an interesting layer to the onion here um, because of their relationship, even though it's been poor play outside of throwing to Devontae Adams this season. Yeah, lots of stuff to figure out. Um, it does help that you live in Vegas and there's no tax purposes for Devontae Adams. I don't feel that bad. And he had a hell of a season this year, too. A- Adams also, uh, 26.8% of the team's targets the last two weeks, was averaging nearly 36% with Waller and Rimpro out. Yeah, nine targets for two catches and 15 yards yeah. in this game. Uh, quickly on the Steelers end, Pat Frymuth pops up for 66 yards, Deontay Johnson for 64 yards, George Pickens for 57 yards and a score. I'm not going to read too much into Kenny Pickett's performance in this game, so on and so forth. I mean, asking him to throw for 39 times and winning this game is pretty remarkable. I know it was in a comeback win. The only thing I want to say is, and maybe this just isn't his game, but as we look towards George Pickens heading into next season, I would love to see more middle of the field work because right now it's almost like exclusively glued to the sideline. It feels like, and for him to like be a complete player, I would want to see more inside breaking routes and, and work over the middle of the field. We did get that game-winning touchdown on that ball over the middle. And by yep. the way, with that touchdown, uh, he has the same amount of fantasy points as Deontay Johnson on 56 fewer targets this year. <laughs> How? Touchdowns, they're important. He's got three. You think it has three of <laughs> well, them. Well, that's three more than the other one. Well, yards matter too. This is insane. 
three more than the other one. All right. I think we covered every single game. Did we? Let me run through it. Right. Even here. if we didn't, let's move on enough. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think we got to mostly everything. I mean, look, we can stay on for a couple more hours and just do a live reaction no, to Monday Night Football if you want we to. Can't. All right. Um, Daigle, week 16 in the books officially now. We're on to week 17. Are you still a content machine over there? What are you pumping out for the people? I am. Waiver Wire will be up a little behind since we had this show Monday afternoon, but it'll be out for sure by Monday Night Football kickoff. And the best ball happy hour for the playoffs is back. Uh, at every Thursday, six no seven thirty p.m. Eastern live with Chris G himself, who won the playoff gauntlet two years ago. Myself and him, Chris, going Chris through, our guy, going through playoff best ball strategy until the wild card round. Love that. Chris is a good dude out there in a bunch of drafts. Amazing guy, all the time. Uh, Hayden and I will be back here on I think Thursday and Friday with pretty much our normal shows. Maybe some more battle royale wrinkles, some DFS wrinkles as we look ahead. Since you know. What one sixth of you are in there competing for your championships this weekend, but we know all of you are. All right, that's gonna do it. Hayden, do you want to say anything? Good luck. Week 17 is here. Uh, close enough. Uh, let's see what happens with the Chargers. Even if it sneaks in there with some Chargers builds, but all these offseason debates and stuff comes down to this week 17. And the key is if you have players that are alive, your team looks all right. There yeah. we go. Good luck to the 400 plus of you in the uh, Best Ball Mania three finals. And to Gary and to Scampers and to Monty and to Dave and to Daniel, Carlos, all of you. Hope you had a wonderful holiday spent with family. We appreciate you sticking with us in these different circumstances that we're in. And just the content being on different days as well because, you know, we love our families as well. For Hayden, for Daigle, I'm Josh. Up the Vela, they're back. Talk to you all soon. See ya.